0: Continue in this series called Seven Habits Seven Habits of Deeply uh, Spiritual People. We've talked about worship in two messages. You'll understand why two messages uh, when we get to next week. And then uh, we talked about the scripture, the importance of reading and studying and learning the Bible, hearing it preached and hearing it taught, as well as digging into it for ourselves. And today, obviously, what we're talking about is prayer and the importance of prayer, one of the habits. That we have to develop in our lives is the habit of prayer. If you'll find your place there in Matthew chapter 6 and just follow with me beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, notice please that it didn't say if you pray, but when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward." But you, when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to this habit, this uh, discipline, this routine. It has to be built into our lives. If we want to go deeper with you, if we want to walk more fully with you, if we want to grow in grace, if we want to understand your word better, if we want to have more of the enabling of the power of the Spirit in our lives, if we want to be able to love people like you love them and live like you live, then, Lord, we have to be people of prayer. And yet, Lord, in the lives that we have, we are so busy. We're so distracted by many different things that keep us running from one thing to another that so often these habits, these disciplines get squeezed out of our lives. Lord, today I pray that you'll help us to see the significance and the importance of prayer. Even a few minutes a day praying. If we can't pray an hour a day or 30 minutes a day, even a few minutes a day praying makes all the difference. Help us, Lord, to learn this habit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I suppose if we were to go around the room and I were to ask you about how your day begins and what you do as you go through the course of a day, that all of you could probably define for me some of the things that are habitual for you. You do them every single day. For instance, you get up, and after you've had breakfast, I would assume, and I hope, at least the people sitting around you hope, that you brushed your teeth today. And that's one of the habits that, you know, you teach your children very early on. Or maybe you go for a run or a walk every single day. Uh, My dad used to walk every day during lunch for 30 minutes around the office where he worked. Or maybe you hit the gym every morning, or maybe you drive a certain way to get to work. That's your place to, that's your drive to get to work. Or you leave at a particular time, that's your habit. And If you don't leave at that time, then the result is that you feel like you're late. The fact of the matter is we all have habits that are built into our lives. Psychology today says, habit formation is the process by which new behaviors become automatic. Old habits are hard to break, it says, and new habits are hard to form. That's because the behavioral patterns we repeat most often are literally etched into our neural pathways. You saw in the video we played before the message that it begins, prayer begins with desperation. It becomes a discipline, but it ends up being a delight. And as you begin to think about this habit of prayer, it may be a matter of discipline. It may be something that you have to put on your calendar that that you have to discipline yourself to do, but ultimately it should become something that affects every part of your life where it becomes the delight of your life. I think of an Old Testament character that displayed the kind of prayer that I'm talking about. His name was Daniel You may remember that Daniel was threatened, his life was threatened, and they thought that that would stop Daniel from praying, or if it didn't stop him, that he would do what they would require him to do. But instead, what did he do? He went right back to the practice that he had, the habit that he had of praying three times a day. He opened his window toward jerusalem he got down on his knees and he prayed to god three times a day nine in the morning noontime and three in the afternoon and he prayed that way just as he had prayed every other day that was his habit it affected his automatic response to the changing circumstances in his life the fact of the matter is, if we'll just teach our brains and our bodies and our souls to respond to all circumstances with prayer, it'll become automatic. It'll become a habit. What if the first thing that you did when you came to any circumstance or any situation is you went to God in prayer, and you turned whatever it was into a matter of prayer? Before you knew it, you would have ingrained into your mind a pattern that would be something that's just second nature to you, and you would begin to live in the spirit and in the attitude of prayer. There is no more important habit or routine that we can learn or develop in our lives than the habit or the routine of prayer if we want to be a deeply spiritual person. Now, let's just be honest prayer is not easy, it's warfare. If you didn't know that, every time you're praying, you're entering into warfare. And Satan wants to do everything to keep you from praying, if at all possible. And he will distract you in every possible way. So as we're talking about the habit of prayer today, you should understand that you're entering into something that's a real battle. Uh, There's a funny story about a man that was learning the importance of prayer. and He'd been staying on his diet really, really well. But one day he came to work with a bag full of donuts. And all of his coworkers were amazed and they, they looked at him and began to wonder what in the world is going on and they wanted to know why if he was on a diet did he stop by the donut shop and buy donuts. And he responded, "Well, I came around the corner where the donut shop was. I told God, if you want me to buy some donuts for the day, let there be a parking spot in the front." He said, on the eighth time around the building, there it was. <laughs> hmm. Well, if you keep praying for it long enough and you keep circling the building, uh, you're going to learn the habit of prayer, I hope. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Hall is a communications professor at the University of Kansas, and he published research about the relationship between time invested in a friendship and friendship closeness. You hear that? It's research about time invested in a friendship and how close those friends become. In general, Hall found that it took 40 to 60 hours to form a casual friendship. Moving from casual friend to friend required between 80 in 100 hours. And moving from friend to good or best friend took between 160 and 200 hours. And time spent together was the key predictor. It was the key indicator of friendship closeness. And it wasn't just they were together, but they were talking together together. They were spending time together. They were hanging out together. They were sharing their hearts with one another. Men wouldn't say it that way. Ladies might say it that way. But they were sharing their lives together. And the result was the longer they spent together sharing those inner feelings and those inner emotions and those inner, uh, those inner struggles and those inner battles and their vision and their desires and their dreams, the longer they did that, the closer they became I think that's why the Bible places so much value on the matter of prayer. The longer we spend with the Lord praying, the better we feel about his friendship, the closer that we feel to him. We have to spend time with God in prayer. You say, Well, I don't feel God's very close to me. My first question is, How much time do you spend talking to him? How much time do you spend praying to him? the more we develop the habit of prayer, the more our relationship with Jesus grows in depth. If you want to see how important prayer is to this matter of growing in depth, I want you to think about an author by the name of Dr. Herbert Lockyer. Dr. Lockyer's been in heaven for many years now, but, and he's written many different books, but the series of books that I have in my library is almost 30 books in the All series. They are incredible books, all the doctrines of the Bible, all the men of the Bible, all the women of the Bible, all the prayers, as we're going to mention here in a moment, all the prayers of the Bible, uh, all the prophecies of the Bible, all of these all books. I, I only had a few of them for a number of years, and I started looking for them. They're, they're out of print, as best I can tell, at least in the hardbound versions. And I began looking for them. They all look the same. They're they're beautiful on a shelf, and they're super practical when it comes to devotions or it comes to reading your Bible. And I finally found them all. But amidst those books, the All series is his All the Prayers of the Bible. And listen to what he says. All the prayers of the Bible say that exclusive of the Psalms, which form a prayer book on their own, The Bible records no fewer than 650 definite prayers. It records no fewer than 650 definite prayers, but that's not the amazing part. He goes on to say, of which no less than 450 have recorded answers. Do you think God wants to answer prayer? He absolutely wants to hear us pray, and he desires to give us an answer to our prayers. Don't you find it interesting that when it comes to the disciples themselves, that Jesus never taught them how to preach? Think about that. These are the men that God's going to use to turn the world upside down. These are the men that are going to be the pillars of the early church, And yet God never taught them how to preach, but you know what he taught them how to do? He taught them how to pray. We commonly call it the Lord's Prayer. It's more like the disciples' prayer, but he taught them how to pray. And it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, which arguably is the best-known sermon that Jesus gave in the Gospels, it's... Incredible that in this same sermon that we've just read from a few moments ago, a chapter later, he mentions prayer a second time. And we'll look at that in just a few moments. A second time he brings them back to the subject of prayer. Do you think God wants us to pray? Do you think prayer is absolutely essential and important? Do you think prayer is necessary if we're going to grow deep in our spiritual walk with God? It's primarily from these words in this prayer today that we're going to be learning. And in what he says just prior to this prayer. Now what I'm about to do is I'm about to baptize you in the scriptures. Uh, I'm going to take you through a lot of scriptures. You'll never be able to open to all of them. We're not going to open to all of them. You may be able to write them down. But I hope, if nothing else, that you'll at least keep a note of the major points that I'm about to give you because I want you to see how important prayer is throughout the Scripture. So let's talk, first of all, about the pattern of Jesus. Consider his places for prayer. He prayed in the wilderness, in that area where It was uh, destitute of people and destitute of things. And he would go out into that quiet place, out into the desert, and he would pray. He prayed in the mountains. Those are all around us, right? In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says that he went to the mountains to pray. He prayed in the garden. Who can ever forget the prayer that Jesus prayed in Luke 22, 41? When he went to the garden of Gethsemane and he met the Lord, he talked to God, his Father, there in prayer. I mean, the key thought when you think about his places of prayer is that Jesus wanted to be alone to pray. And so should we desire to spend time alone with God in prayer. Secondly, consider his positions in prayer. He prayed kneeling down. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says that he withdrew a a stone's throw from them and he knelt down and prayed. He prayed face down. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, it says he fell on his face. That doesn't mean he he tripped over a rock and face-planted. That either means that he laid out prostrate on the ground with his face toward the ground, or it means that he kneeled down on his knees and he put his head down and his face down to the ground. He prayed standing with his eyes toward heaven. He lifted up his head and he prayed to the Father above. Again, the most important thing for you to remember is not the position of your body that's so important. It's the position of your heart that you're calling on God, that you're talking to God. Someone has vividly expressed this in a humorous poem about the different positions of prayer. The proper way for man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. Nay, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms, with rapt and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front. With both thumbs down to the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year I fell in Hopkins' well head first. said Cyril Brown. With both my heels a sticking up, my head a-pointin' down, And I done prayed right then and there. Best prayer I ever said. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed. A standing on my head. (laughs) It's not just about whether you're on the ground or whether you're looking up to God or whether you're kneeling. I want you to consider with me for a few moments his practice of prayer. He prayed at his baptism, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. He prayed before choosing his disciples. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. He prayed before meals. Matthew 14, 19. You still do that? Or have we become too culturally aware that we're afraid to pray? There's a funny story about an old farmer who was in town on the weekend, and he walked into one of the local restaurants, and some of the local hoodlums were there in the restaurant that particular day. They watched him as he bowed his head after his meal was served to him, and he prayed. And they looked over there, and they laughed at him. It was funny to see this old-timer, they said, praying. And when he got through praying, one of them said, Hey, old man, does everybody where you come from bow their head before their meals? And the old man, without even looking up, said, Everybody but the hogs. (laughs) Are you better than an animal? Then you stop before your food and you teach your children to pray, and you pray, whether your friends are watching or not. He prayed during his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. He prayed for the children in Matthew nineteen thirteen. He prayed for the sick in Mark chapter 7, verse 34. He prayed at his transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. He prayed before his death in John chapter 17. He prayed on the cross. You remember the words? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays today in heaven. Did you know that? Jesus is praying for you and for me today. He is the intercessor. He is our advocate who is acting on our behalf in praying on our behalf Again, the idea here is that he had a regular habit of prayer. He had a regular place to go and pray. It might have been the mountains. It might have been the wilderness. It might have been in a garden. But he had a time to pray, to get alone, and to be with God. Secondly, let's talk about Jesus' principles for prayer. We should pray privately, shouldn't we? Look at verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love To pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be. Hear the words. Seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, please don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying that public prayers are forbidden. Jesus prayed publicly. Paul prayed publicly. But here's something you'll note if you read through your Bible and make note of many of the prayers. Most of the prayers that you read can be read in less than three or four minutes. Some of them can be read read in less than a minute. You know, when somebody wants to stand before everybody and just uh, wax eloquent and just go on and on, maybe something else is going on. Trying to impress people with their prayers. So public prayers aren't forbidden, but it's private prayers that are the most effective kinds of prayers. In Luke chapter 19, verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying. Hear the words? He was alone praying that his disciples joined him. Jesus understood the importance of praying privately. Alexander Graham Bell had a dreaming place that overlooked the Grand River Henry David Thoreau skipped stones on Walden Pond. Ludwig Ludwig van Beethoven sat at his desk until early in the afternoon, and then he'd take a stroll to reinvigorate his mind. But he always carried a pencil and a few sheets of music paper in his pocket to record his musical thoughts. That was his place to be alone. Susanna Wesley raised, listen to me, ladies. (laughs) I can't find time to pray. Susanna Wesley raised 17 children. How do you birth 17 children to begin with? (laughs) Raised 17 children in a small home. And so you know where her place of solitude was? She would take a blanket or she would take her apron and she would pull it up over her head. And whenever she had that over her head, that meant for her children to leave her alone. She was in the holy place with God. And maybe that's what you have to do Maybe that's where John Wesley learned to kneel beside his bed. But everybody needs that place where they can get alone and they can talk to God and nobody else is listening and nobody else disturbs what they're doing. In 1956, environmentalist Sigurd Olson built a small cabin on the banks of a lake in northern Minnesota. If you've been to Minnesota, I have not. But if you've been to Minnesota, you know that there's a lot of those kind of lake homes. And it was customary to name those places in the land of 10,000 lakes. And so what would be the name that Sigurd would give to his particular place? Well, his objective in building his cabin was to hear all that was worth listening for. So you know what he named it? He named it the listening point. The listening point. I mean, where's your listening point? Where's your praying place where you can get alone with God? I mean, inevitably, it'll be as unique as you are and as unique as your circumstances are, but everybody needs a place and a time to spend with God. It might be in your car, riding from your house to your office or from your house to the plant that you turn off the radio and you spend that time in prayer. It may be part of your lunch break when you just separate from everybody else and you find a quiet place and you spend that time in prayer. It may be a pathway out in the back of your house, out into the woods, a little trail that you follow and out by this tree you confess your sins and out by this tree you praise God for the things he does and out by this tree you make your request to God and out by this tree, it may be a number of kinds of places but everybody needs a place to pray. I have a doctor friend By the way, the older I get, i got more doctor friends than I used to have. (laughs) i got a doctor friend who, when he goes on vacation to the beach, he says he likes to get up before the sunrise and go down to the beach. And he walks on the beach. Hardly anybody, if anybody, down there walking on the beach. And he's waiting for the sun to rise, but he says, that's my communion time. That's my time. Now, if I lived at the beach, I might like to do that. Wouldn't you? Okay, so you wouldn't like to do that. He likes to walk along the beach, nobody around, and he spends that as communion time with God until the sun comes up. I don't know where that is, but I can tell you, everybody needs a place where they can pray privately, where they can get alone and say, God, this is your time and your time time alone. We should pray, secondly, thoughtfully. Notice verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Notice the words, vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. He's not talking about repeated prayers. Those are usually welcomed. We're often told in the scripture to keep on knocking, keep on seeking, that we're told to keep coming back. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ritual prayers, where you're just going through the motions, where you open a prayer book, and you just read the prayer book and it means nothing. You pay no attention to it. You just went through the motion so you can say you, can, you checked off the box that you spent some time with God. The, the words vain repetitions mean to babble or to speak without thinking or to stutter, if you will. We're commanded not to pray in a rote fashion. Now, it's one thing to teach your children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to, say, my soul to take. It's okay to teach your children those, or, you know, God is good, God is great, and you go on to thank him for the food. It's okay to teach your children, but you don't want to be a child praying like that forever, right? You want to learn to talk to God. You want to have prayers that are maturing, that aren't just ritual prayers, where you're going through the motions. It's not the the quantity of the words that you say. It's the quality of the prayers that you pray. Did you hear that? It's not the quantity of the words that you say. It's the quality of the prayers that you pray. It is coming from your heart. It's coming from your heart thoughtfully. You're thinking through as you talk to God and you're communing with God. Number three, we should pray honestly. We should pray honestly. Look at verse eight. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father, now listen, He knows the things you have need of before you ask. We should pray honestly. I mean, he already knows what you need. He already knows what's going on. He already knows the sin you've committed. He already knows the joy that's in your heart. He already knows the success that's come. He already knows all of that. He already knows it all. So why do you hide from God? Why aren't we like, why are we like a, a Adam and Eve? you know, hiding from God when he comes to fellowship with us. Listen, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've been made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants to fellowship with us, and he wants us to be honest. I've stood with families at some of the most difficult times in life. I I have not been through what they've been through, and I don't know exactly all that they're feeling or experiencing when they're going through But I've told them on many occasions, I've said, you know the thing you need to do is just tell God exactly what you're thinking and exactly what you're feeling. He's big enough to handle it. Do you hear what I said? The greatest counselor you will ever have, you don't have to pay for and go to an office. You need those sometimes. But the greatest counselor you will ever have is the one who is your God and you just tell him and pour out your heart before him and you're honest with him about what's going on in your life. You pray expressing your wishes to God. You pray exposing your weaknesses to God. But you pray because God already knows your successes and your failures and you simply are honest with him about how you're feeling. You say, Pastor, does that mean I can... I can question God, absolutely. Jesus did on the cross, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's it's a different attitude of the rebellion. Lord, you're going to tell me the answer to saying, God, I don't understand this. You've got to help me to understand. You've got to explain this to me. Please, Lord, help me to see the purpose in this. It's a difference in attitude, but even Jesus on the cross prayed that prayer. My God, my God, why? have you forsaken me? You mean I can tell God that I'm angry with him? Yeah. I know a preacher in our town who wrote a book. It said, the title of the book was, sit down, God, I'm angry. Sometimes we have to tell God things hurt. God, I want you to know exactly how I feel. But listen, if you're telling him those things, don't forget to tell him, Lord, I had a good day today. And I want, you to, I want to rejoice in you and for the provision of that day. Lord, I want to tell you, I thank you for accept, getting, having acceptance, uh, giving me acceptance into the college where I wanted to go or giving me acceptance into the community where I'm living. And Lord, I want to thank you. If you're going to tell him those difficult emotions, don't forget to tell him about the good emotions. We should pray honestly. But then we should pray simply. We should pray simply. We're not going to go back through the Lord's Prayer that's here in Uh, Matthew chapter 6, but do you find any difficult phrases or any difficult words in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Do you see any? I don't see any. There's no theological terms there. You talk about his kingdom, that's his rule. We know exactly what that means. We know who the evil one is. We understand our daily needs. We know that he is our father, but as our father, we shouldn't... is our Father, we should never be too casual with God. Hallowed be your name. I fear sometimes that we become so casual that we've forgotten who God is, that he is our Father and he desires for us to come and spend time with him and he wants us to share openly and honestly with him, but we must never forget who he is. This is the God of the universe who is your Father. We pray simply. You don't need fancy words. You don't have to pray in Old English. I don't, I don't mean the kind that you put on as a cologne. <laughs> we don't pray in the Old English style. You can pray in your normal terms and in your normal language just talking to God. We pray simply with clarity of speech and with a confidence that God will supply. But then finally, we pray mercifully. You hear what he says? He says, He says here in this prayer that if we won't forgive, then He won't forgive us. If you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, please listen to me. This is not judicial forgiveness we're talking about here. You're forgiven on the basis of one thing when it comes judicially speaking before God. That is, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you trust in Jesus for eternal life, you are judicially declared to be right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We're talking about fellowship forgiveness. It's impossible for you to live your life holding on to the bitterness and the anger that you have toward others. And please understand something forgiveness is not a feeling. Can we get that through our minds? Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not that you can ever forget what happened to you. When the Bible says that God won't remember our sins against us, it doesn't mean that God ever forgets. It means that God has chosen he will never use those sins against us again. God is omniscient. He doesn't forget anything, right? Right? I understand we use terms, that he erases, and they're all gone, never to be remembered, and we think that means that they're gone. God doesn't even know what they are anymore. The reality is God doesn't forget anything. That's the part of being omniscient. But God willfully chooses not to use those sins against us because we've been forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is is a choice that we make, that I will not use the hurt that you caused to have uh, vengeance back on you. I will not let myself sit around dwelling on it and thinking about it and pondering it until it takes over my life. I will not let you live in my head and control me. I'll stop talking about it. I'll stop thinking about it so that I can let go of it and move on from it. And forgiveness doesn't mean you ever put yourself back, if it's a dangerous situation, you ever put yourself back into the same situation where, where you can be hurt again. But look, we are to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, what? Has forgiven us. We are to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. I've been in the ministry. Mary and I have been in the ministry almost 45 years. If if I carried the bucket load of hurt that we've been through, I would be the most bitter, hateful man you've you've ever met. I'm not that man, right? Please tell me I'm not that man. I would be the most bitter, hateful man you've ever met, but I refuse to let you set up shop in my head and live there. I choose to forgive you and stop thinking about it and stop talking about it and move on from it and not put my put myself back in the situation for it to happen again. We have to pray mercifully. We have to pray mercifully. Listen to me. we got to be people of prayer. You say, I, I just don't know how to pray, Pastor. Well, I have provided something for you today. If you haven't picked up one, you want to pick up one on the way out. If you don't want to take the sheet in your hand, you can go to the website, lmbc.org. You can go over to where it says resources in the drop-down, choose prayer. And when you see that page come up, it has a place for you to make prayer requests, a place for you to sign up to be on the prayer chain. But down at the very bottom, it has three of these sheets. And on the back of the front side is the same in all. The back side is different. You say, I don't know what to pray about. I've given you 20 things, well, 60 things altogether. If you can't come up with some, I've, I've given you some to work on. <laughs> just, just start right here. Deliver me from complacency that blinds me to the needs of people around me. Awaken my spiritual heart to crave truth and desire him above all else. And it goes right on through. Download it. Use it as a part of helping you. But on the front side, it takes the Lord's prayer, and I turn it into six points. What should I pray? Well, I'm going to praise. That's the first thing. I'm going to pray about my purpose. God has a will for my life, his will. Your kingdom come. I'm going to pray for provision, my daily bread. I'm going to pray for pardon. Forgive me as I forgive others. Lord, I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to pray for protection. All of that, pick it up, please. Take it with you, but whatever you do, pray. The third thing I want you to see, the pattern in prayer, Jesus' principles for prayer, but then finally, Jesus' premise in prayer. Do you know what the premise of prayer is? It is that God delights in hearing his children pray. You know, when my grandchildren are talking to me, you don't have any problem getting my attention. You don't, but you don't with yours either. And probably not with your children. When your children are talking to you, And if your children have to you know, pull the paper down, does anybody take the paper anymore? <laughs> the newspaper? If, you take, if they pull, children have to pull down the paper and pull the book out of your hand and say, Dad, won't you come out of the room? I mean, maybe you need to do that, but for the most part, parents know their children's voices. They delight in hearing their voices. And when my grandsons or my granddaughter calls and says, Hey, Granddad, what do you want? You can have anything you want just call me. You just just call me. You can have it. If I can make it happen, I'm going to make it happen. Are there any other grandparents in the room like that? It's just the way we are. We love hearing our children pray. We love giving our children good gifts, don't we? Look over at Matthew chapter 7. I told you there's another place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about prayer. Look at it. Chapter 7, verse 7 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you by the way the word ask if, if you use it the word a stands for ask the letter s stands for seek the letter k stands for knock verse 8 for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? I mean, what kind of a father would do that? Right? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Amen. I've got a Father in heaven that delights in hearing me talk to him and delights in doing good things for me. Christian prayer begins with confidence in a God who is their Father and who desires to do them good as his children. That's Jesus' premise in prayer, that the Father in heaven is not some old man who... You know, slapping your hand. Don't come up here asking for anything else. Don't come talking to me about that. I don't want you around me anymore. Get away from me. Your father says, I want you to come. I love to hear your voice, and I love to do good things for my children. You like to do good things for your children? (laughs) Our children in West Virginia are hurting, obviously. Do you all like to do good things for your children? Absolutely, you like to do good things for your children, and God likes to do good things for his children. I I want to finish this message with with some very practical points, so you want to write these down. There's five of these very practical points. Number one, keep a notepad near you to write down extraneous thoughts and the insights God gives you. Keep a notepad near you to write down extraneous thoughts and the insights God gives you. As soon as you decide, I'm going to start spending a consistent time with God in prayer. You know the first thing's going to happen? The devil's going to pack your mind full of every possible thing to distract you. Oh, did I turn off the stove? Oh, man, did I leave the car running? Was I supposed to pick up the kids this afternoon? What time is that ball game supposed to take place? Was I supposed to be at that women's meeting or that men's meeting? A thousand things will come to your mind. You take a pad, and you know what you do when those things come to your mind? You discipline your mind by writing them down. Check this when I get through. Check this when I get through, and then you just keep on praying. But you know something else? A lot of times when you're praying to God, you want to have that pad there because God's going to show you something while you're praying, and you want to write down what it is he tells you when he speaks to you. Number two, don't worry too much about the technicalities of prayer. Just talk to God as your father and friend. I mean, if somebody is your father and somebody is your friend, I mean, do you spend a lot of time measuring, how am I going to approach them? What am I going to say? Should I use these words or not use these words? Should I tell them this? Should I not tell them that? What am I going to do? I mean, do you do that kind of technicality? No, because they're your father. They're your fathers. They're your friends. You come openly and freely without all the technicalities just talk to God I love uh, to read Max Lucado a lot of people like Max Lucado I think because of his content obviously but because he's a storyteller he loves to tell stories but Max Lucado writes in his book When God Whispers Your Name these words Do you want to know how to pray how to deepen your prayer life pray Don't prepare to pray, just pray. Don't read about prayer, just pray. Don't engage in discussion about prayer, just pray. Posture, he goes on to say, tone and place are personal matters, but don't think about it too much. Don't be so concerned about wrapping the gift that you never give it. Better to pray awkwardly than not at all. Amen? Amen. Number three, when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to pray, just wait quietly before God in silence. When you don't know what to pray, by the way, you can, you can organize your prayer life. You could take Monday and let that be the day you pray for your family members, all of them. You could take Tuesday, and let that be the day you pray for your friends. You could take Wednesday and pray for your church and the leaders in your church. You could take Thursday and pray for the sick and the hurting and the shut-in. You can take Friday, and you can pray for your neighbors that are right next door, that God will open doors for you to share the gospel with them. You can take Saturday, the last day of the week, (laughs) and pray for yourself. And You can take Sunday, and you can use Sunday as the day to say, Lord, I just want to come to Praise you today. got no request today. Just want to praise you. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for what you do. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for your greatness, for your glory, for your majesty. I want to thank you for the songs that we sang. I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for my brother and sister in Christ who helps me to lift my heart to you. And you just thank God. But when you don't know what to pray, you don't close the book and say, okay, I'm done. I don't know what else to say. You stay there in the silence of those moments for the time that you were intending to pray. Because Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 27 says, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You like that? When you don't know what to say, you know who's praying for you? The Holy Spirit's praying for you. And you stay there and you pray. Number four, make prayer an unceasing practice, not a special event. Make prayer an unceasing practice, not a special event. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen? Pray without ceasing. You know what that means? That means when you got in your car today, you say, Lord, thank you for my car that lets me drive the church. When you got to church, you say, Lord, you know, I'm sitting next to some dear friends of mine. Will you bless them this week? Will you watch over them When you pass by that neighbor that you know has been sick, you say, Lord, my neighbor is really sick. He or she really needs your help and your intervention. Or you think about your parents and you think where they are, you say, Lord, bless my parents. They were so good to me. They watched over me and loved me and raised me and provided for me. When you think about your, your, your employment. You say, Lord, thank you for the gift of employment. Thank you that I have a job. When you ride by a place where there's flooding, like there's been in, in, in Kentucky and South, uh, uh, Southwest Virginia and over into Virginia. Lord, will you please help those people in their time of need? Lord, will you help them through me? I mean, there's lots of things to pray about and you just keep praying. You just make it a constant. Everything becomes a, everything becomes a matter of, of, of talking to God. Isn't that what deepening a friendship is about? Have you ever seen, now men, we're going to have a little harder time understanding this, but have you ever seen two women who haven't seen each other for a while but are the best of friends get together after having been apart from one another? Have you? And men, don't you stand there in utter amazement and say, the, the, the sentence they left off a month ago, they pick up in that conversation. Amen, ladies they got no problem carrying on a conversation. We men need to learn a little bit more of that. Prayer always allows us us to live relationally with God. Living relationally means that you can learn to talk to God, to listen to God, to think about God throughout your day. It's not just about bringing God a grocery list of things you want him to do. It's about a friendship. I just want to talk to you today, God. I just want to tell you what's going on. I was going through a tough time several years ago, and one of the men of our church took me to the mountain of God. He's got, I don't know, 100 acres or so out in the, well, I don't even know if it's on the planet. It's somewhere. <laughs> I think we had to be airdropped in. It's further out than this city boy is used to, that's for sure. And then he put me in this coat. It was cold, this, you know, warm thing that you put around you that makes you look like a hunter. You think I look like a hunter? And then he put me in that four-wheeler. That four-wheeler. Do you hear what I said? This is not a golf cart. <laughs> this four-wheeler. And we start off up the mountain till we get on top of the mountain. We met with God up there on top of that mountain, didn't we? We met with God up there on the top of that mountain. You know what? You just pray without ceasing. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. God wants to spend time with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to share what's on your heart. He wants it to be something that's ongoing. Think about God throughout your day. You just talk to him. If you're waking up in the morning, if you're getting ready for work, if you're driving to the office or to school, if you're sitting in your favorite chair, if you're going on a walk to participate in your favorite activities, or you're relaxing in your favorite place of rest, you know, some days you just sit down in that chair that you love Uh, that's like the old pair of shoes that you got that are just the most comfortable things you've ever imagined and you just say thank you Lord that the end of the day has come and I get to relax are y'all still with me number five now listen carefully maybe the most important thing I'm about to tell you is right now ask God to change you not just your circumstances. Ask God to change you, not just your circumstances. Isn't it strange that when we pray, we ask God to change our circumstances, but seldom to change our character? You understand that praying is a little, little bit like going out fishing. If you've if you got a boat hook and you throw it out it catches hold of the shore and you pull that boat hook as hard as you can do you pull the shore closer to yourself or do you pull yourself closer to the what are you doing when you're praying you're aligning your will to the will of god it's not just about getting what you want it's about saying not my will but thine be done listen god wants us to pray you say is it really that simple? Yeah, it's really that simple. It's just talking to your friend. It's just talking to your father for many years every Saturday. This is before cell phones. Remember the first cell phone? It was a big old bag phone. It had a big old hand, and it had this antenna that stood about this tall. And they said it put out about three watts of power, and it might cause cancer in your car. <laughs> Remember that? Before there were bag phones and before there were cell phones, every Saturday my dad would, would call me on the phone and we'd spend about 30 minutes talking, 25 or 30 minutes talking on the phone. Can I tell you, you got a father in heaven who wants you to call him? And he wants you to talk, he wants you to talk to him. You got that friend that you can't wait to connect with. I, I see some of you posting on social media. You go meet your friends. You hadn't seen them for a long time and it's like you've been together. You've never been apart at any moment. Do you realize you've got a friend like that in the God of heaven? About 25 years ago, I was ministering to a family and the lady was diagnosed with cancer. She didn't know what the outcome would be of her cancer. She said that She had written down her prayer, her ultimate prayer, and she handed it to me on this piece of paper. She said, if I don't make it, I want you to read this prayer at my memorial service. She did last for a while, and ultimately she succumbed, and she's in heaven today. But I've asked Angie to read this prayer. It's on the screens here in a moment. And while Angie's reading that prayer, I'm asking my wife to come to the piano And I want you to listen to this heart, this woman pouring out her heart to God. Don't hear Angie's voice. Hear Sally's voice while she's praying this prayer.
1: Lord, I'm yours. Whatever the cost may be, may your will be done in my life. I realize I'm not here on earth to do my own thing or to seek my own fulfillment or my own glory. I'm not here to indulge my desires to increase my possessions, to impress people, to be popular, to prove I'm somebody important, or to promote myself. I'm not here even to be relevant or successful by human standards. I'm here to please you. I offer myself to you for you are worthy. All that I am or hope to be, I owe to you. I'm nursed by creation and every day I receive from you life and breath and all things. And I'm yours because you bought me and the price you paid was the precious blood of Christ. You alone, the triune God, are worthy to be my Lord and Master. I yield to you, my gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, to the Lord Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me, to the Holy Spirit and his gracious influence and empowering. All that I am and all that I have I give to you. I give you any rebellion in me that resists doing your will. I give you my pride and my self-dependence that tell me that I can do your will in my own power if I try hard enough. I give you my fears that tell me that I'll never be able to do your will in some areas of my life. I consent to let you energize me to create within me, moment by moment, both the desire and the power to do your will. I give you my body and each of its members, my entire inner being, my mind, my emotional life, my will, my loved ones, my marriage, my abilities and gifts, my strengths and weaknesses, my health, my status, high or low, my possessions, my past, my present, and my future. And Lord, I give you when and how I'll go home. Lord, I'm here to love you, to obey you, to glorify you. Father, O oh my beloved, may I be a joy to you.